Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week, it is episode 50. This week, we're going to talk to a community constructor, a builder, someone who challenges everybody and wants to wants everyone to, to push their limits and succeed. We're, we're, we're talking to Mark Hodelek this week. Now, Mark is the co-founder of 29029. Now, if you haven't heard of it, you know, check into this podcast. And uh, it's so cool. It's so rad. One day, I want to get down to America and try it myself. Uh, I think it's, it's the coolest thing going. Uh, Mark has got finishes at the Leadville 100, the Hedepin 100, and Ironman Mount Tremblant. Uh, Mark has founded multiple nationwide event series converging community, athletics, and philanthropy. Now, Mark ended up in a few years ago meeting Jesse Itzler. Now, the two of them, upon conversation, uh, started wondering, what if they ended up putting together an event where it was more about vert than distance? And what about if you could end up in one event uh, pushing your limits, you each and every one of us have our, has our limits, and pushing your limits to 29,029 feet. That's, a, that's the elevation of Everest from sea level all the way to the top of Everest. And what if you could do this all in one event? And this is where 29029 was born. Now, I'm pleased to welcome a community builder, Mark Hodelek, to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. Welcome, Mark. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, flattering introduction. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, Mark, you know, um, certainly <clears throat> I had my experience with uh, 29029 at the Vermont event a couple years ago. Um, and so, but I think that's sort of almost the end of the story. So we got to wind our way back. A little <laughs> uh, it's like we watched a movie and then we got to see the beginning. So even way before Ironman or your 100 mile races, as you were growing up as a kid, was like big, were big challenges something you liked thinking about, you know, maybe you were athletic in high school or college or something like that, or maybe you just, you know, did rode your bike 50 miles around your neighborhood. Like what was Mark like growing up that might've given us an indication that one day he'd be out there getting thousands of people to do stuff they never could have imagined doing? Well, my parents who are visiting Atlanta right now where I'm based would tell you I was a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, so uh, I wanted to shape things my own way. I wanted to change and bend reality. Uh, I didn't really ever want to do things a conventional way. But, you know, my dad was a runner and a marathoner. He still runs at, at 70, uh, just turned 71. So, Our you know, goals. my dad, my, my dad, yeah, my dad, yeah, I would see him come home from work every day and he would go run. And it started off as a kid waiting in the front yard for him to finish his run to play baseball or football with me. And that eventually, you know, developed into joining those runs for a couple miles, not every day, but, and then going to local kind of all comers track meets. Right. And I played little league baseball, played high school baseball. I was okay. But I was a good runner, and the big goals for me early on were this. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. There was this thing called the the Brookwood Kids Mile, and that was like the thing like you can only do it until you're in eighth grade, and you know you wanted to win it before you went, and that was that was a big goal of mine. You know, you kind of had to 
to run a 450 something mile on the road. And it was pretty fast to do if you were in seventh or eighth grade. And I was able to win that once or twice, you know, before going to high school. So, you know, there weren't huge goals, but there, there were goals, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, in the world that we're in of an ultra endurance sport, you'll, you'll find kids in seventh and eighth grade doing far bigger things than that. But for me, in, in the little world that I was in, it was, you know, wanting to at least challenge myself and, and have not only a time-based, but a place-based goal that, that did kind of shape some of my year. I mean, I, I still play sports. I didn't, I didn't like taper for these races or anything. I didn't take it too seriously, but, but I did have those goals at a, at a young age uh, where um, before that I went to a Catholic school and it was called the toy bowl. And every year, you know, the five or six Catholic schools got together and had, you know, an athletics competition and that, you know, we did an 880, um, you know, and it was wanting to win that at an early age. And um, before that it was races around the schoolyard. So, you know, most of my things cater towards middle distance races when I was younger that kind of shaped that, that drive and, and desire to kind of perform on race day. Yeah. And so Mark, I mean, so I'm a parent myself and, and so is Joe. Um, and we've talked offline many times about parenting and how really it's not telling your kids what to do. It's mirroring for your children, showing them the way um, of sorts. You know, so you, would you say that your father, you know, consistently showing up um, and, and pushing himself and even now, like you say, as a 70 year old, he's still running marathons. Do you, do you think that that was a major, you know, he was a major role model when, when it comes to what you're doing now, or were there other people in your life that, that also showed you this? Sure. Look, I think, uh, first and foremost, yeah, my dad was, um, and, uh, and still is. And, uh, it was interesting for me, you know, being, being, as you're saying, being a married, I have two boys, Chase and Dylan, who are 11 and nine. And the big thing for me is you kind of know early on what your kids may or may not be good at. You know, they're predisposed, uh, maybe, and, and you see some of their talents and skills before they do. And the big thing for me was my dad didn't push me into these things, right? I, I chose to want to do them. And, you know, my youngest guy could be, you know, I ran track at Auburn. I wasn't fantastic, but I was a collegiate runner. He, he could be really damn good, but he hates it. So I don't make him run. You know, I mean, there's times where as a punishment, we, we got to go out and, and put a couple miles in, you know, uh, we got to, we got to build some fitness for a sports season or something like that. But um, my 11 year old would be an amazing swimmer. You know, he swam one season and won a bunch of local meets and a bunch of regional meets and decided he didn't like it at all. And I didn't blame him. You know, I trained for Ironman. I did not like staring at that black line. It wasn't for me. Right. So the short answer is, look, it, it wasn't my dad it continues to be my dad. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it is, uh, it's something where you don't, I, I find it incumbent upon myself not to push my kids, right? And that, you know, if they decide to want to pursue other things that, that I'm interested in, I need to let them find out where their passions lie, even if it may not be something that they've been predisposed or that I think they've been predisposed to be really good at. Yeah. Yes, it mm-hmm. very very helpful, right, for a lot of the people who listen into the podcast, um, you know, and as you sort of went through your own journey, you know, one of the sort of philosophies that I took up early on was, you know, this mindset, if you want to go to a party, then have one, you know, don't wait, <laughs> don't wait around for people to invite you, like, 
you know, invite everyone in. And, and so in some sense, not getting sort of too close to 29 or 29, but there's a little bit of that in there, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, I want other people to do it, but I'm going to also post it so that I do it and keep it going. You know, let's talk a little bit about the transition. So, you know, you're a good runner, you go do these kinds of events. And then, like, how does that bridge to this sort of idea that, you know, others should come along on the journey? Because most of one thing about running, right, is it's rather solitary. You know, a lot of these events we do, Ironman, very solitary. You know, you might train with people, but there is no team. You really don't necessarily care what someone else's finish is unless they're your good friend. We sure. go, we disappear. And so how did you transition into sort of the idea of this community builder, this guy who wants to help people sort of start to achieve some of their potential? Yeah, look, I think uh, I'll try not to make this answer too long, but ah, you know, professionally, no, no, I mean, professionally, look, I was a management consultant. I was not trying to win road races. I was living in Manhattan. You know, I, I was running to and from the gym to stay in shape and, and didn't get into endurance sport after college. You know, I was, I had multiple stress fractures. It was kind of like, I want to do something other than run. And through my 20s and early 30s, you know, running was just a way to stay in shape, running to and from the gym to lift weights and, and be fit. And uh, to bridge the gap really was uh, my oldest guy was seven at the time, a little over four years ago. I had left being a management consultant. I had gotten into doing some live event production uh, of nothing else other than, you know, wanting to go to that party and having it myself. So I was organizing things that we did in college, like the beer mile. And I brought that across the entire country and entertained almost a hundred thousand people in, in 2014 and 2015. So did nationwide event series at this event, the wall street decathlon that was raising millions of dollars from Memorial Sun Kettering cancer center, which started off as a, NFL combine kind of meets the CrossFit games for friends that worked on wall street that, uh, you know, I, I, I saw being very competitive and having arguments about who could do more dips or pull-ups. And I was like, I'll organize an event. And, you know, that got to be really big and it had some financial and professional success, but the, the main thing was philanthropic success. You know, that was raising millions of dollars a year for pediatric cancer research. So some of those things I kind of fell into by being someone that would just take action you know, I'm a, I'm a branding and marketing guy, so I was able to create cool concepts, but they were all built around community, right? You know, the, the, the company that had beer fit, which was ultimately unsuccessful, uh, it was successful for a bit, but it was combining beer and running, which a lot of people were doing. I was just doing it under the guise of doing a beer mile, right? Because I thought that was cool in college when you did that at the end of the track season. And um, I saw people's eyes light up when, they would, when I would tell them I can drink four beers and run a mile in less than six minutes. They'd be like, what? And I was like, oh, maybe more people would want to try this. And uh, so getting to really ultra endurance sport came from my best friend, Matt Burrell, who uh, did continue with endurance sport. He's done Boston numerous times. And then he was doing his first Ironman. And I went down with my family uh, down to uh, the Panama City area did Ironman, Florida. And my seven-year-old looked at me and was like, Dad, you can do an Ironman, right? And I looked at him and I'm like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I told him, yes, like I need to actually go and do it. Because his expectation was, dad, you said you can do it. You're going to do it, right? I didn't own a bike. I couldn't swim 50 yards across the pool the first time I went. But I had eight months to get ready for an Ironman. And I had a good level of physical fitness. I was running 25 miles a week. Um, But that's really what got me into kind of the ultra endurance 
type realm, which I don't know if a lot of people would consider an Ironman ultra endurance, but I think 15 hours if you're average yes. Ironman finisher. Yeah. So that really got me into just that vibe. And, you know, I, I did my Ironman in around 11 hours and I went back to the finish line at hour 16 or 17 and, and I saw the, the last people finishing and that community vibe really got to me. Mm-hmm. And it was just something where I thought, wow, like it's great that everyone comes out here at the end, but the people that I was with, I'm not competing for a Kona slot, right? Like 11 hours is fine for a good first time, but I'm like an hour and a half from qualifying for anything. But I couldn't believe how competitive the people around me were. Like mm-hmm. asking me my age, how many Ironmans I've done, like wanting to beat me. And I was like, that's the first marathon I'd ever owned as an Ironman. I'm like, I'm just trying to finish this thing. Like, can we just have a nice conversation and we're all being competitive? And I was really not knocking the Ironman brand. I'm a huge fan of Ironman. It's phenomenal event production, great community at the end. I'm a big advocate for them. But I just thought the community at the end of the race, what if that existed all the way through an event? Right. What if we weren't competing for Kona slots, which I wasn't even doing. I was just trying to get the best out of myself that day and finish. But um, that's really what started sparking this desire of like, what are those events you can do together? You'd accomplish a huge goal, but people would be helping you just as much as you helping yourself. So um, that's really where those ideas started to come to play. Like, well, I have some success in event production. I have some success in branding and launching and running my own event production company, being an entrepreneur. And I met Jesse, who was the ultimate community builder. And, you know, Jesse is a ultra endurance athlete himself and New York Times bestselling author. He's been an entrepreneur and had great exits to Coca-Cola and Berkshire Hathaway with Marquee Jet. He's a very enigmatic, interesting guy. And we developed a friendship of just saying what we thought was missing in endurance sport and that those all were just convening at the same time. The, the world has a weird way of bringing people together when you have ideas. And we were both looking for a little bit more of a community as we did some of these events. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, beer fit wasn't quite panning out the way that I thought it would financially. And I was gracefully, you know, deciding not to continue another season um, of events and, and, and had the bandwidth to pursue this, this idea with Jesse. Well, I think, Mark, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head and I think you were kind of, you know, working your way around something is that in the last 15, 20 years, you know, we used to see personal fulfillment and and objectives as being very linear, like, you know, running a marathon or completing an Ironman. But now we're seeing all these different events like your event popping up and and even the beer mile. I mean, when the beer mile first came up, I was just blown away that people could run that fast and drinking beer. No, don't get me wrong. I love drinking beer and I love (laughs) trying to run fast, but not doing the two together. They typically don't, don't end well for me, but, um, but then we're seeing all these events like your event where it really is about, you know, thinking outside the box and that, you know, there, it's not a marathon finish. It's not an Ironman finish. It's not, and so, 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 so talk us through the, the 29029 and, and, and some of your, your, your ideas, you know, the, the community coming forward, you know, how, do, how does the event work? Um, you know, you, so, well, and I, I, I know how it works because I desperately wanted to come down to America and do one, sure. but, you know, tell me, tell, tell our audience about how it works and, and what is so unique about this and, 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 and the, what, what, what will you find there from, from a community, from a community standpoint? Sure. I mean, look, the, the, the overall idea of 29 or 29 was very simple. 
um, ever seen. It's been something that's been done on bikes. It started in uh, New Zealand. And it was something where people just ride up a, a hill uh, on their bike, ride down, and continue doing it until they climb 29,029 feet. I was so intrigued by the idea. And I thought, well, you know, people can do this on foot. And what if you used a ski resort as the venue and you took the gondola down? Because going downhill uh, is so rough on the body. And in numerous ultra races that I want to give credit to, you Everest along the way, right? If you do the Hard Rock 100, you're going to climb 29,000 feet over 100 miles. And that's just, that's so big and it's so bold. It's just, just not approachable to that many people. But if you, if you think about what is the biggest thing you could do, for most people, it's climb Mount Everest. If you just think about what's the biggest thing you could do on Earth, it's climb the tallest mountain on Earth. And so the marketing story, and I believe inherently, we all want a story to tell. Why do most people do an Ironman? So for a year, two, three years, they can tell their friends and family, I'm training for an Ironman. Right. I mean, legitimately, you're doing it for yourself, but part of why you're doing it is to tell the story. Yeah. So right. thought, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Innately, we all want a good story to tell. And, and what if you said, hey, I'm going to climb the vertical height of Mount Everest in a weekend. And, you know, Jesse and I had linked up early on with our friend Colin O'Brady, who is a world record holder for the seven summits, who had summited Everest before and thought, well, he brings some credibility to what we're doing. And we all kind of started tossing around this idea. And, Truly what the weekend is, is you have 36 hours to hike up a mountain and take the gondola down at your own pace. It's self-scored. You take this triangle logo that's on a cattle brand and burn it into a wood board. There's no chip timing. The only timing is a 36-hour clock that ticks from 36 hours down to one second. And that's the allotted time that you have at your own pace to hike up, take the gondola down, and continue to repeat until you climb 29,000 and 29 feet. So... You know, what to me, when I did Leadville, there were four people that were racing Leadville. Legitimately at the start line, there were probably three to four people that had a legitimate chance of winning that race. The other 700 of us were just trying to finish. And it was true community on the trail. You're having real conversations. You're creating real bonds with people. But it's in a pretty trying scenario, right? Because you're in the middle of nowhere. And you do meet interesting people, but then you never get a chance to reconnect with them. And the idea of community of 29 to 29 was you have one base camp. You're hiking the same trail again and again. And Joe may have good moments while I'm having a bad moment. He can stop and talk to me. And later on, that can be flipped and we can see each other again. Mm -hmm. And that ability to, to be spending that much time in such a condensed area while you're tackling something so physically and mentally taxing just creates a vulnerability that exists in so few places. And that brings out authenticity in people. Mm-hmm. And when you strip out all of the, I'm a CEO, I'm a founder, um, I'm a, I'm an Iron Man. Here's my thing. And it's just like, I'm Dave. Right. And I'm tired. Right. Mm-hmm. You build real bonds with people because the walls are gone and you're just being your most, I think the truest version of yourself. And I don't, I can't sit here and tell you four years after we created it that we sat down and were like, we're going to create an event where you find the truest version of yourself. And others in the community showcase the best of humanity. But that's what it became. And, and I think it honestly became that because we had a really good format. We got a little bit lucky that the format has drawn in such great people. And then we've really held it really tight. And, you know, as, as your podcast host can share with you, we really truly care more about the customer than anything else. Mm-hmm. And long term, 
that creates enterprise value, that creates profitability, those things come. But if you truly care about the customer experience first and put that above everything, um, that has allowed us to curate such a deep and meaningful experience for people. And I think overall create more enterprise value down the road. And at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur, but I really do genuinely care about each and every participant's experience. And uh, that is that is something that's been unwavering since day one. <clears throat> yeah, I think that Mark, you know, as I listened to you, and of course, as I said, I did it with uh, a buddy of mine, Paolo, and uh, he well, had sure. never done anything like it before. And I had, you know, similar to you, had done Ironman, had done Leadville, had done some other big challenges and got out there. And I think that this sort of, the piece that is, is the most remarkable for me is, is the everyone else. You know, it's not the people who know that they can do it. It's the people who go there not knowing they can. And that is so hard sometimes to get them to the place of their potential. It's, it's really hard. There's, there's more latent potential sitting in living rooms and at office desks today that if we could tap into it, the world would be a completely different world. And sadly, there's just a lot of people who, who don't, for whatever the reason, not being you know, judgmental, right? It's just, it hasn't been their context. And you create this very safe environment to go do something that's ridiculously hard, but achievable. It's like, you know, I always said the marathon was great because it was like the perfect distance, really hard, but a lot of people can do it. And 29029 is really hard, but a lot of people can do it. Part of it's that community. You know, I, I remember going up the mountain quite a few times and saying to someone, would you mind me telling you how to use your poles? Because I think I could help you. And they'd be like, no, love, please tell me because I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I'm like, okay, well, uphill, you have to hold it like this, you know, much different than you are. They'll give you more leverage. And they're like, thank you. And they're all open to it. And then they get benefit from it. And then you disappear. And they're like, you know, who was that voice kind of? Because it isn't about that for me. It's like, then they have the power and they might've told someone else at that point, you know, and you're right, your crew does a phenomenal job, but the phenomenal job is in setting a context for people to find something that they wouldn't find themselves in and in themselves. And, uh, and I, you know, you get to watch some of the stories, the journey there, right? What they had to do to train, to get ready, to be bold and brave enough, and then to show up and be psyched every time you, you know, you brand that next level on the board. And then Dave, what they have is in your last lap, you wear a red vest or whatever you would call it, you know, bib. And then everyone knows you're on your last lap and they're cheering you on. Now you feel like, you know, you're Superman. Uh, and so it's, it's down to that level of detail that you guys have that makes it even more, you know, sort of rewarding for people. Uh, but you have a couple of good stories of some people who just you remember, like they told you something at the end, Mark. What were they like? Look, I, I got to tell you, the amount of stories, it's overwhelming. And I think for, for me and my team, it's one where I, I'm not, not going to say I'm a complete check the box and move on to the next thing guy, but I'm very forward looking. And uh, we probably do not take enough time to sit back and reflect fully upon the, the impacts that this event has had on people because our average participant has never done a marathon. My wife did this event, and I'm not knocking her. My wife is a stud, but my wife had never done a 10K. 
She ran her first six mile or longer distance in training for this event. So, you know, to be able to take something on like that and be vulnerable and not know how it's going to work. Um, and, and to feel comfortable taking that kind of risk, risk of failure, right? That's where a lot of people, they're just scared to fail. And we've, and I appreciate you saying that, that we've created a safe environment. So the stories that stick out to me the, the most are, you know, uh, Jason Canaris is a gentleman that has come down from Toronto numerous times. And the first time he came to our Utah event, his goal was to climb once. And, you know, it takes 13 times going up snow basin to, to Everest. And, and he got in four laps and, and had to leave with some altitude sickness. And he had, he had some health issues and, you know, trained for a year and, and lost a significant amount of weight and, and came back and did, did 11 laps and of 13. And, and Jason's going to get his red bib this year. I, I fully believe Jason's going to finish. But it's, it's feeling that support in the community and making that type of lifestyle shift. But, but also coming to an event where he knew he wasn't going to finish year one. And, and I try to put myself in that position of, would I have ever towed the line at Leadville knowing I probably wasn't going to make it past 12 miles or 15 miles? No way. Like, I am way, way, way too vain in my athletic accomplishments, and I'm, I'm way too shallow to, to have a DNF on my record. Like, mm. Not finishing has never once gone into my mindset, ever. Uh, and, and to think about the other end of the spectrum where someone doing one hike can be just an unbelievable accomplishment and finding a way to stretch themselves to four is really what this, this event is, is really about. Um, and and I, think of, I think of some of the women who have done this event, like Lori Scala, who's terrific mother, unbelievably smart, gave up her career to to help her husband build his business and start a family. And um, it was her time to shine. You know, it was, it was her time for everyone else in the household to kind of look at her and support her and her goal. Right. And, and the empowerment that that gives to kind of say, um, you get to cheer for me and, and, and how that's felt for a lot of women who have taken a lot of sacrifice to build a home uh, and, and a lifestyle for, for their husbands and the rest of their family. And, and they get to be the hero um, and it's done in a manner where it's, a, it's an unbelievably huge accomplishment. That's what I think a lot of these people do not realize when they, when they go from like never done in a half marathon to doing something where the average finisher takes 30 hours. Like Lego took me 26 and change, right? Like, I mean, it's, you're, and I, I covered a hundred miles. Like, I think it's more impressive the longer that it takes because it's more opportunity that you have to quit. It's more opportunity for doubt to creep in and you to stop, it's really hard. I mean, if, if, you, if you talk to elite Ironman, you were doing an Ironman in under eight hours, they can't fathom how people stay out there for 16. You know, it's, it, you know and so I, I think it's, it's a true testament to how strong uh, all humans are and, and the ability that if, um, if the goal is big enough and the support system is there, people can wildly exceed their own expectations if given a forum to just continue to keep climbing and keep going. And that's really what we're trying to foster here. No, and I, I agree, Mark. And I think that everybody's got a very different story and, you know, and, and the stories that they're telling are, are their stories. Um, you know, what's, what's, what's so cool about your event and, and, and maybe the only, the only, you know, real, uh, you know, comparison that I could end up bringing up right now is a, a story that I have with uh, Big's Backyard. 
is, you know, down in Tennessee, Lazarus Lake puts on this great event, sure. basically 4.18 miles every hour until you can't. Um, and it's so cool because, you know, he puts on this event and he does things like Barkley marathons. And so he's, he's a lot like you, Mark, where, where he ends, he's very curious and he puts on these events and sits back and, 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 and then watches. And it's so, it's so fun to sit and watch him watching. And I had one really intimate experience with him. I ended up running, I think it was 53 hours a couple of years ago there. And it was right on, uh, right on the second can night. We, can we just pause there for a second? Yeah. 53 hours, 212 miles. Yeah, yes. both there. Yeah, you bet. All right. I yeah, just, but I, I just I, wanted I, to just level set. That's just ridiculous. Uh, oh, well, that's, yeah. well, well, thank you, Mark. Thanks. But no, it was really interesting because it was the second night and I ended up lying down and, and taking a nap. And, and I was lying down, you know, Lazarus Lake was, was sitting by the fire or he was standing by the fire smoking a cigarette because that's what he does. And he was watching me. And as I lie down and, and I, you know, close my eyes, he was standing there watching me. And then I, I, when he, I woke up about 10 minutes later, um, I, I opened my eyes and Lazarus hasn't moved except for his cigarette was gone and he was watching me. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to get, flip him the bird. I wanted to give him the middle finger and tell him to go to hell. And what, what the hell are you making me do here, man? This is all your fault. But, you know, it was really interesting because he truly wanted to create an event where people found their, the bottom of their well. What was going to run out first, the bottom of the well? What, 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 what were you going to hit first, the bottom of the well or the length of your rope? And I see that that's what you're doing here, Mark, is, is, you know, you're, you're putting this challenge in front of people, something really hard in order for them to go and try their very best. And if they can succeed at this, what else can they do in life? And, you know, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to, you know, developing relationships with loved ones and, and calling your mother and, and, and dealing with, with how difficult things that, that are bound to come up, um, you're creating an opportunity for people to find their next gear and their excellence. Would, would you agree? Uh, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the amount of times that, you know, there was a going away party on Saturday and uh, I really cut back on any type of alcohol consumption in the last year or two. Not that I drank a bunch before, but, you know, I really cut back and, you know, I had a couple glasses of wine and I didn't feel great Sunday morning. And I was as a punishment to myself, you know, I'd already hit my mileage goal for the week and I'm not the runner that, that you all are, but I went out and I ran 15 miles. Right. And my son, my oldest son was like, you know, I was going to go out and run three or four, you know, and I ran 15. He's like, why'd you run so long? Like, that's so long. And I was like, what's you run a hundred miles? Like 15 isn't far. Right. Your, your, your idea and concept of what's hard, what's long completely shifts. Right. So that little story just for me is even having been a collegiate athlete, right. 15 miles felt like a really long way. And I'm not going to say that during some of the run, when I was not properly hydrated or properly nourished, didn't hurt some, but I can always reflect back on, I know how I felt on hope pass, right. I know how I felt like this is nothing like you can push through it. So I do think it, it shifts so much of your mindset and you're right. It does play into other aspects of your life. The thing that I'll say is like, you have to utilize that muscle. Right. And that's the thing for me is that it's not easy. And so you constantly have to go back and you don't have to do 29 and 29 again. You don't have to go back and do bigs. You know, you don't have to do an Ironman every year. 
I think there's a certain almost addiction that can come some with the finish line, right? Because you're chasing mm-hmm. finish lines as great as they are. The big thing for me is just find areas to test yourself because if you if you get too far away from it, the benefit the longer it's gone, the less benefit you get from it. So I think you just have to sharpen that tool. And there's opportunities to do that all the time. I mean, I was on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and they were like, well, what hard stuff are you doing now? And I was like, this morning I tried to run 10 miles at six-minute pace for no other reason than it was mentally challenging and really hard. Like, it's not that I'm that fast. That's not that fast. Realistically speaking, it's just not. I got a 50-year-old buddy, Ken Rideout, that just ran a 228 marathon at 50. Me trying to go out and run on a flat course a 60-minute 10-miler is not that fast. I just did it to just challenge myself. Yeah. No reason. I have no races on the calendar. There's no one at the finish line. It was just at mile six when it really started to hurt. How was I going to react? Right. So I think you just have to try to find those areas. That could be starting a podcast. That could be calling a loved one that you've had a fight with, as you mentioned. Um, that could be volunteer work. You just have to search for those areas to seek some discomfort. Or I do think you lose the benefits. It can make it easier to do the next big thing. But if you don't continue to challenge yourself in some respect, I do think that muscle eventually atrophies. And you just can't go back to that place as as much as you would like. Um, So I'm not telling anyone listening that every year the bar has to get raised. I'm just saying just find little things that are mentally challenging I don't know. I've said this on numerous podcasts. I don't know if I came up with this quote or not. I should really figure it out. But I said, I look for opportunities where the mind opens the door to quitting. And you have to decide if you're going to allow the body through it or not, right? Like, I'm just trying to find areas where just to myself, no finish line, am I going to quit or am I going to be proud of myself and find a way not to quit? So I just try on a pretty regular basis to just find opportunities where I've just set these small little goals for myself and I can figure out if I can hit them or not. Yeah. I'd say, I think it's, so the, the interesting part, Mark, is that you're bringing it at this very sort of conscious level, um, this kind of idea. There is, uh, I've been uh, listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's uh, he's a research neurobiologist out of Stanford. If you ever want to listen to a podcast, he's, he's great because a good hour, 15 minute run and you'll learn about more about neuroscience than you can. Oh, imagine. wow. And, uh, and he feels obligated to share it because he says, you know, his, his research is funded by our tax dollars. So I'm like, oh, good. I can get something <laughs> taxes I pay. But, but what's interesting that there's a biology that you're sort of intersecting with your Venn diagram here on that sort of consciousness level saying, you know, I want to run through a door to find out whether my body will quit or not. And then there's the, the neurobiology that actually is the validator. It's the reason why that actually works, but we don't have a very good understanding of it, but that the human body brain system works when it's used, not when it's not, you know, one of my favorite blog posts I ever wrote was about, you know, the rusty swing set. So you can put a swing set for your kids when they were young, they stop using it. You leave it out in the backyard. And one day you walk back there like, why is this a piece of junk? It's all rusty. But had they been using it every year, there would be no rust. That's what happens to yep. us. And so 
And what's underlying it is that there is the way the human physiology works, whether it's the mitochondria that continues to grow, whether it's the dopamine receptor that's triggered that makes us want to continue to go, the endorphins and the adrenaline and the, you know, the neonepinephrine, all of these things, they're built to make this system work. That's how we survive, literally. You know? And then when we stop using them as we age, we tend to then decline. But that knife can be honed and sharpened. And what I think is really fun about what you guys are doing, and we're going to talk for a couple of minutes also about bringing your life resume, is that 29 or 29 in some way is a more approachable brand, even though it might be harder than some of these other events, because you don't have to like become skilled in riding a bike or swimming. You know, you don't have to go compete at Leadville. You can go out there, you know with your walking sticks and your sneaks and go up the hill until you just can't do it anymore in a supportive setting. But it's all of those are triggering the same sort of neurobiological response in us, which then triggers sure. the system to work. And so that's the magic, which is putting people into an environment. Because it's always sort of like, what, what is the motivation for someone? Well, actually the motivation is actually turning the system on. Because once the system's on, then it works and it works to our favor. Because then you're like, well, why is Mark going to run six minute miles? Because his system is working and it needs to be satisfied. And it's that simple. But when you turn it off and sit there and just, you know, I don't know, drink the water and watch Netflix, it's not used. And so it never really then achieves. So anyway, long sort of preamble into this sort of like what you guys are digging into is really important but you're doing it at that conscious level, having the biology support it. I don't know if you think about that that much, but it'd be cool to then think about why did you guys then go do this build your life resume? So you got this big event, really cool. Is it now you're trying to operationalize a little more than one event a year with me thinking more actively about my life? Me, not Joe, particularly all of us. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, look, the, the build your life resume story. I mean, that, that was really Jesse and I had partnered. We'd launched 29 out of 29 and, you know, I, I was just a business partner to him and he'd had numerous partners in the past, but this was the business that I was working on with him. And, and he was really building out his personal brand and, you know, a very accomplished author and getting to be a great keynote speaker. And, you know, his, his personal brand, uh, he was, trying to figure out what to attach that to a little bit, you know, what, what was really going to be his differentiator. And that's tough for Jesse because he he's accomplished so many things and he crosses so many genres that you can't put him in a box. I think like his, his website says like, Jesse doesn't fit in a box and he doesn't even own a box or something like that. Right. Like you can't put him in a box. And so one of the things that he talked about was life resume. And I was like, you've already said it. I didn't coin the term, you know, as much as I'm a branding and a marketing guy, like I didn't come up with that. I was like, but, but building a life resume is your personal brand. Like that is what it is. And, and really what build your life resume started at uh, when I watched that with Jesse was, was literally just taking his speech and putting it in a digital format and saying like, you know, there's only a privileged few that are lucky enough to be working at this company in a room where someone has paid you a lot of money to be a keynote speaker but there's tens and thousands of hundreds of thousands and millions of other people that would benefit from snippets and stories that you have and a mindset that you have, which is really about so much of what you just talked about, Joe, but um, it's a life resume that matters. It's not only your business resume, 
people are really focused a lot on a business resume and that, um, you know, Jesse and I talk a lot about how interesting people are more fun to do business with. They tend to be more successful because they have good stories to tell. So you need stories to tell. Nope. I think we lost Mark. Hold on, Mark. We lost you there for a little bit. Hold on. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's no, no, no. No, it's okay. We can cut that. You, you were just saying uh, uh, that people are more fun who have stories to tell. Yeah. So, you know, you just, you want to be around interesting people. And then there's those stories Jesse always talks about. There's those, those stories and those experiences that we have that happen to all of us, right? We all remember, mm -hmm. unfortunately, 9-11, right? You know, uh, you, you can remember certain events that, that, they happen to you and, and you react. And then there's moments you go out and create. And 29 and 29 is one of those moments that people will go out and create. They'll remember that moment they put on the red bed for the rest of their life, right? They'll remember because they were so present every conversation going up the mountain, right? You remember facial expressions. You'll, you'll remember smells. There's a lot of science behind that. It's because you're so connected to that moment. You wanted it for so long. And, and so the idea behind Build Your Life Resume is, is really, I don't I hate to say it's nothing more than this, but it was really taking a lot of Jesse's thoughts and teachings and, and bringing them in a much more digestible manner uh, in a digital format. Um, so, you know, they operate as separate companies, but they're built around the idea that um, we all have stories to tell and it's better to go out and create your own story. And that's what's more interesting than I grew this business unit from 50 million to 100 million. That's great in one aspect of your life, uh, but I think it shows a lot more when you, you kind of take on these challenges, take interesting trips with your kids, learn a new language. You know, that's the stuff that, that I want to have on my life resume. There's stuff from my business that'll be on there, but that's just one pocket of, of what makes up each of us. Yeah, Mark, you know, one of the beautiful things about your event and, and building your life's resume, and I love that, um, is... You know, there's many different ways to do that, you know, through 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 family and through business and on and so forth. But the beautiful thing about 29029 is is it's nothing more than effort. It's nothing more than just putting your boots to the ground and 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 working hard. And then, you know, it's not that if you know there's gonna be a moment in time that you're gonna want to quit. It's how many of those are going to come up and, and, and how do you circumnavigate those? Um, sit with those thoughts for a while, come to understand them and, and then break through. Um, so, you know, I, and I think that that's one of the things, it's one of the really significant missing pieces in, in our world in 2021 is, you know, we, you know, we, we sit around and complain about, you know, what's difficult and challenging and painful all the while we're walking through a grocery store with 20,000 food items you didn't need to hunt, gather, grow, or prepare. Like we've, we've, we live very softly and very comfortably. And I think that people are looking for opportunity to seek discomfort and to seek something that's hard. And is, is that where, is that the, the typical demographic of the person that comes out to your races? Yeah, look, without a doubt, I agree with so much of what you just said. I think that we both now said seeking discomfort, right? Which is interesting. Um, there were a few other ideas that Jesse and I've had and we'll be implementing at some point in the future. And, you know, I like the term unsettled, right? 
the mm-hmm. unsettled. You're looking for people that don't, don't want to settle. Um, you know, 29 and 29 is this interesting mix of, yes, people want to take on something hard, but there's a lot of hard stuff you can go and do, right? Mm-hmm. So not, not to push back, but Ironman is really hard. Qualifying for Boston is really hard. Like, there's a lot of really – you can go do rim to rim, right? You don't have to pay a race director. There's a lot of great stuff out there to do that's hard. We wanted something that you would get all the benefits of doing something really hard, have an amazing story to tell, but really have end-to-end support all along the way. Because what I found was when I signed up for Leadville, I had no idea what the hell to do next. I didn't own a hydration pack. I didn't have hiking poles. I didn't have a coach. You know, I didn't know anyone who'd run hundred miles. I didn't know where the hell to start, right? I didn't know what to eat, how to fuel. So the idea behind 29 or 29 was like, trust us, right? And it's a big step of trust, but we have the best, we have some of the best coaches. We have some of the best products. We have training programs for you. You know, we make it turnkey. And yes, there's a, there's a business reason behind that. But the main reason is to make the upsell front easy, the, the, the sale up front easier. You know, just take out all of the challenges from a decision-making process and say, we got you covering each one of these buckets. It's still going to be really hard, but if you get to the event and you have an issue, we have massage therapists on call. We have physios on call. We have, you know, Norma Tech, you know, boots and, you know, you have, we have everything. So you get those comforts to where you feel like you're fully supported in achieving your goal and not just like pushed out the window of an airplane and you got to, you know, build your parachute on the way down. Right. You know, so it's, uh, these other events are awesome, but they're, in, they're too intimidating to the majority of the population. And, and I don't mind saying that like, we're a great bridge from, I want to do something really hard but I want someone to hold my hand along the way because I'm not quite ready to figure this all out by myself. And that decision fatigue that's real in a lot of other events, we wanted to remove from people. Um, And then we really wanted to just have an awesome experience for people to where they just couldn't walk away and say, man, they should have invested in this or they should have done this. And it was really just to just say, how, how would the four seasons how would a Rosewood host an endurance event? What would they do to where every touch point on the customer has been very thoughtfully executed and done in a seamless manner? And so you just look at some of those best brands in hospitality and say, how do they do things and how can we translate those learnings into an ultra endurance event? So people who are used to traveling to those properties or people who are maybe unaccustomed to endurance sport will feel very comfortable and I don't want to use the word pampered, but cared for when they're at an event and not feel like they're, they're on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is a, a really interesting, there's so much dynamic to that. There's one which is each of us as we move along on our own journey and have the experiences sort of have an obligation to support others, right? And one of the things that I'm sure we all run into is someone says, oh, Mark, I can't run with you, you're too fast. And you're like, no, you don't understand. I want to run your speed when I'm with you. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Like I'll run fast or, you know, but I'm not ever going to try and, but you guys sort of neuter that point, right? Because it isn't a race against anyone else and they don't find that really fast person who they're competing against. That's brilliant. Um, I think that it's a permission opportunity that often we don't give ourselves to go try to do something in a safe world, right? That's better. 
than that. You know, but one other thing I just wanted to touch on, you struck a chord with the, you know, I've, you know, I've worked on this sort of brand myself for 25 years, you know, like if you were to meet someone who knew me 25 years ago, they'd probably say the same exact thing. Like, oh yeah, and he wears a black shirt and runs in sneakers and you know, whatever it is. But, but one <laughs> of the things that I realized in this supportive mode was that you can do it more broadly than just for yourself. And one thing when uh, my kids were growing up, my oldest was eight, we decided we were gonna visit all 50 states by the time she turned 18. It's gonna be this long-term family journey. How many people go see all 50 states? You know, I think it's like a quarter of the percent of Americans do that. You'd have to do a lot of work and planning, but it would be fun, you know? And it's a lot like the, the benefit of learning endurance is it's, it's what life is, right? You know, it's an endurance event itself. Uh, but then think of the stories that can be told from all participants who go on a journey. And then you start to build your own storylines. And, and I think that there is stuff that outside of what we do that can be constructed in similar ways. You know, let's go visit more of the national parks than other people. Let's do something. You know, everyone is sitting around their dinner table or driving in their car listening to the podcast. Use some of your time just to dream up your version of 29029 and do that. And then if you want support events, go do them. But we don't, we can do both because that's one time in the year. We got all this other time in between that we should be doing something. And that's where I like the build your life resume is more than a bridge. It's the life part, right? It is sure. consciously thinking each year, like, okay, what's this year about? You know, like one year I watched a thousand TED Talks because I thought I could hang out with smart people. You know, like I didn't go to Harvard, but I could hang out with smart people. So there, it's all there, those resources. And that's what I like about what you guys are doing is you tap into those resources when people might not have the imagination. And then you normalize the imagination and make it accessible. And then they can come on the journeys because that's easier than having to do all that other thinking. So, you know, like how, how do you think about, you know, the evolution of what you guys are doing, you know, um, with the success this year, you have what, you have three locations for 29029 coming up, right? Yeah, we have, yeah, we have three locations and four events, actually. We're doing back-to-back -back weekends in Utah. So we're, we're doing uh, Sun Valley, Idaho in, uh, in, in just under a month. And that'll be an amazing reunion of sorts because, you know, we had a lot of people who were signed up last year and we had to postpone the event and those that needed refunds got them. And those that, that stayed on for the journey really have a unique story to tell, right? Because they had to train for an event. It got removed from them. It got taken away from them as we all had a lot of things taken away from us last year. And then they had to renew that commitment this year. So I think that that reunion is going to take place on the mountain is going to be fantastic. Then we're at Snow Basin, uh, Utah, and, and Idaho for back-to-back -back weekends at the end of August. And then we're back to the original location in October uh, where you did uh, back uh, up in Vermont uh, at Stratton Mountain. So, you know, that's, that's exciting for us in this calendar year. I think one of the things that I'm challenging myself and my team and, and my partners with is – kind of what's next for us right and um holding this van this brand very close it's it's thinking about you know interesting to think about partners and, and what type of partners you know we've never had any sponsors uh, we've never made any revenue from sponsors my previous business you know most profitability was only made from sponsorship so it's been a completely different business model 
but what partners could improve part of the, the training, part of the content that's delivered ahead of time from nutrition and mindset. So that's, that's been a focus. Um, the, the price point is unapproachable to a lot of people, although it's a heavily catered experience and it's, it includes a lot, you know, uh, over a $4,000 ticket, no matter what's inclusive in it, does exclude a lot of people. So how can we take the same type of experience and maybe not make it last 36 hours, maybe not provide as much support, but still allow people to try something really hard with the way that we want to approach and execute events? So it's just thinking a lot about that. And then the opposite side is we've opened the door for a lot of people. And they've said, oh, wait, if I can be on my feet for 30 hours, Maybe I can do a 50 miler. Maybe I can do a hundred miler. And um, I'm encouraging those, but is there anywhere where we want to play in that conversation with the way that, that we would organize those, those races and challenges to where maybe it's not vertical feet, but it's the same type of uh, utilizing what I would say are, what are our core competencies, right? We care about the customer through and through. We're really thoughtful about the story that you're telling and giving you every access and resource to really champion your success by having one party be in control of your entire journey. So if you take that, you're like, why couldn't this be on a bike? Why couldn't this be done on skis? Why can't we do it over a longer distance? And not just talking about vertical gain. So those are things that I'm thinking about a lot more now as it's um, not only wanting to go deeper in what we call you know, endurance hiking, but how can we maybe take the way that we approach an event and get in some different modalities and distances as well, not spreading ourselves too thin, but it's exciting to think about how, how we can play in that same journey, um, wherever it may be before our event as a feeder or after when we graduate to the next thing. Uh, because everyone that's done this is their, their mind's going to be open to something. Some of them are going to start a business. Some of them are going to write a book. Some are going to do a podcast. A lot of them are like, maybe I should do a different endurance event. And, and I want to encourage that, but, but I also would love to be part of that journey as well. Yeah. You know, Mark, you know, a, a community builder's work is never done. You know, it, it, I, I love, I love where you're going with this is that, you know, you've done some really good work, you've created opportunity, but there's more opportunity to be had. And so from a guy like Joe and, and myself, who are always looking for, you know, these opportunities, these, uh, these events, these, these, these opportunities to push ourselves. We want to, we want to thank you for, for, for creating these and, and, and in the future, creating even more. I mean, Joe and I are going to be at your events for, for, for years to come. And, and so I want to thank you for your time today, uh, um, coming on the Chasing Tomorrow podcast and, and telling your story and anybody out there uh, head on. What, what's your website? What's the 29029 it's website? Number, yeah, it's, it's literally the number 29029 to 29,029 feet and then Everstein, E-V-E-R-E-S-T-I-N-G.com. If you do just type in the number 29029 in Google or the, or the number of results, that's probably the easiest way to get there. You bet. So yeah, all of our listeners head on over to the website. Uh, find out what uh, Jesse and Mark are up to and um, get on out there and challenge yourself. So yeah, thanks a lot, Mark, for, for coming on the Chasing Tomorrow podcast and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Yeah, Mark. Joe, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. See ya. Hey, Dave, great to have you back on the show. I really missed you last week. And, and you know, having participated in a 29029 event, it was really great to have Mark while not on the mountain. It's really fun to have cool dudes like him on the show. And I really think it's amazing how he's putting on events like this to get people 
to get on a path to be the best version of themselves. He really is quite the guy, and we'll have to stay in touch with him to hear what he dreams up in the future. Well, and there you have it. That's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout-out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You can find them on www.performancetea.com. And they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. We'd greatly appreciate if you could follow us on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. As always, a huge thanks to our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.